Good, you can take a seat. Let's pray together for a minute. I pray, Lord, that uh, from uh, just hundreds of different backgrounds, that we would be able to come here together this morning, uh, available, open, um, listening, um, willing to receive your counsel, your guidance, your instructions, your commands, that those of us who have followed you for a long time would be inspired to really apply your teachings to our life to be thoroughly and completely Christian, and those of us who are wondering and seeking and hoping that there's some truth to this claim that Jesus is God and that Christianity is true, that, that we would find some sort of handle today to take hold of, to move forward in our journey uh, towards you. God, bless this gathering. May you have free reign to work in the lives of those who need you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My name is Nathan. This is Emmaus Church. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Raise your hand if you'd like a Bible. We'll be, in, um, we'll be on page 705 in the Bible that is being handed out, if you'd like to follow along in just a minute. Also, if there's a basket near the edge of your uh, row, and if you could grab the basket, grab a card if you'd like to fill out a card with, you know, giving us uh, contact information or that kind of thing, that's what the cards are for. Pass it down the aisle. If you do fill out a card, be sure to put that card back in the basket in a few minutes when we take our offering, when we pass the baskets again and, and people uh, give financially to the church. You can put the card back in the basket at that point, and that'll help us to stay in touch and uh, follow up well with the needs that are represented here. All right? So good to have you here today. I am excited to, um, to have Melissa Lester teaching this morning. Let me tell you a little bit about Melissa, and she'll come up in just a second. Five years ago, we met Rich and Melissa. Three years ago, Rich joined our staff as the executive director of our church community. And during that season, Melissa's life was primarily filled with finishing college, building a family, starting a home. Um, and so that's kind of the context that many of us got to know her in. But as you get to know Melissa and you hear more of her story, you hear that she's got this fantastic um, experience in mission work. She traveled from the time she was 14 in the summers to different countries and did different things with um, Christian organizations. She's recorded music, she's led worship, and she's got a teaching gift. And so I'm super excited to be able to have her teach us this morning. We've been working on this for several months. When she showed me the topic that she felt called to preach on, I thought, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be real. This is going to get real, real, real fast. So would you, um, I'm so glad that you're going to teach us today, Melissa. Would you help me welcome Melissa Lester? Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, sent Nate my topic, and then two days later, I was like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Such a terrible idea to pick deny yourself for your first time sharing with your church. You know, it's like, couldn't I pick something really cozy and comfy, like God's love, and I don't know, I was like, deny yourself, so intense. But anyway, because, you know, we don't like to be told no, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not our idea. So speaking of being told no, um, my husband and I, Rich, we have two kids, nine years old and Dale, and then our youngest, his name is Jude, and he's um, going to be two in October. And speaking of no, he has a really interesting relationship with the word no, as most 21-month-old people do, as you can imagine. So anyway, here's a picture of Jude. Isn't he cute? So anyway, um, he loves to say the word no, but he hates, absolutely hates to hear no. 
Um, recently, we were on a road trip to, uh, well, anyway, it doesn't really matter where we were going, but we were on a road trip, and by about hour seven, all my tricks, they just, they stop working. You know, we have the books, we have the toys, and he is hating life. He doesn't want to be in the car seat anymore. So my oldest, Ndale, and I, we have this little plan that we bust out about hour seven, hour eight, that helps us make it through the rest of the trip. Raisinets, right? So I go to Ndale, and, and Rich is in the car, and we're saying, okay, here we go. It's time for the raisinets. By the way, these are super, super fun to clean out of a car seat when it's been like 108 <laughs> all week long. Just a word to the wise. So anyway, I go, Jude, this is how much he loves the, to say the word no. He says it when he means yes. Okay, we forgive him because he's 21 months old. So I open the box, you know, and he's all excited because this is his second road trip having raisinets. And he says, I said, Jude, do you want a raisinette? And he gets this big smile on his face and he reaches out his hand and he goes like this, no. <laughs> and so Ndala and I were like cracking up, right? We're laughing at him. We're like, dude, it's yes, yes, please. So I'm like, well, let's just model it for him. So I go, Ndale, would you like a raisinette? Yes, please. Here, can you stand up? So I give one to Ndale. And then I go, Daddy, this is actually my dad, so it's convenient. <laughs> would yes. you like a raisinette? <laughs> and so we do that back and forth. Finally, he starts to get it, you know, please. But he just had too much fun to say the word no. And even when it's raisinettes, like, these are his favorite thing. Like, he can't even see this box, otherwise it's a mess, and I have to give him some. He loves this, but he, he was still wanted to say no. But what's interesting to me is he hates to hear the word no. And how many of us are kind of the same? We don't want to really want to hear no. And no, it comes in a lot of forms, right? No, you can't have that. No, don't say that. No, don't do that. No, don't climb onto the kitchen island and try to turn on the gas stove. Just for example, you know, nobody in this room's had to say that like four times this week. Um, no, don't buy that. No, don't eat that, my least personal favorite. And no, you are wrong. We just don't want to hear it. But what's interesting in our passage today, this is what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to tell ourself no. And let me just read this. Um, we're going to be in this passage, Mark 8, for quite a while. And we're going to read, this is our main focus for today, we're going to read it first. It says, if anyone, this is what Jesus is saying, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself, tell yourself no, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will find true life. Let's pray. Lord, give us grace this morning to hear your words and respond. Holy Spirit, I pray you would just enlighten our hearts this morning for your truth. Holy Spirit, set a fire in our heart to do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to spend some time this morning talking about the context of this passage because it, this is really where it comes to life and it gets real, as Pastor Nate just said. Um, so think about the momentum 
that the disciples had to be experiencing at this time. Jesus just fed the 5,000. He's been healing the sick. He's been turning water into wine. He's been raising the dead. Okay, he's gaining in momentum as people are following him. And there's just an incredible, you know, just amount of energy and popularity that Jesus is experiencing. And one day, Jesus asked Peter, he says, who do people say that I am? If there's another slide. No, not yet. Who do people say that I am? And Peter responds to him and says, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked Peter, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says to Jesus, you are the Messiah sent by God. So Peter's doing good. He got the, the answer to the question right. And in this moment, I think it's really important for us to understand who the Messiah, what the idea of the Messiah was to, disciple, to the disciples and to Peter. You know, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the benefit of the Bible to know who Jesus was as the Messiah. But they had a different expectation of who the Messiah was. They wanted a strong and mighty political leader. They wanted a King David, like, you know, ten times they wanted someone who was going to lead them out of bondage, free them from their political oppressors. And they were looking for someone who was going to bring them into peace and prosperity. A mighty, mighty king. So this is their expectation. And Peter, I just envision him. This part is my imagination. This isn't in the Bible, but... I just envision Peter like having this, you know, success fantasy <laughs> in that moment. Here Jesus is feeding the sick. He's healing everyone. It's awesome. It's powerful. And he's right there next to Jesus. He's in on the ground floor of something, and it's going to be awesome. And it's only going to get better. And he's right next to Jesus. I think he was like doing, you know, like picking out like the chariot he was going to lease or... <laughs> I don't know, I'm trying to think of, like, the cultural equivalence of, like, okay, let's go on Zillow, check out my new house that I want to buy, or, you know, pick out my new office furniture at Restoration Hardware or whatever. You know, he's like, oh, this is going to be so awesome. That's probably what I would be doing. I don't know if he was into office furniture or not. But <laughs> so you have to, like, kind of look at it from Peter's perspective. He was in on it. And I, I kind of also imagine Peter, like, name-dropping Jesus. You know, like, Jesus said the funniest thing yesterday. What was it? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, my gosh, it's so funny. Or, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, Jesus and I, we're, we're on tour together. Thank you for laughing, by the way. I really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Jesus and I, we're on tour together. You know, we were in Bethany and Galilee. A few weeks, we're going to be going to Jerusalem. It's going to be awesome. You know, I just picture Peter having this. He had a plan. Peter had a plan of how it was all going to work out. Peter had a plan of how Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be realized. And then Jesus drops this. He says this. This is on the slide. Actually, this is just what the Bible says. Then Jesus began to tell them that he, the Son of Man, would suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the leaders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, and three days later, he would rise again. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside 
and said he shouldn't say things like that. So Peter just tells the Messiah, don't say that. <laughs> I am uncomfortable with your plan. I don't like this picture of how this is going to happen. Peter was trying to manage and control Jesus and the situation. This is Jesus' response. Then, so Peter pulled him aside, but then Jesus, just to make sure all his disciples are in on this, he turns and he looks at his disciples. And then he says to Peter sternly, get away from me, Satan. So here Peter, I mean, his, his power, success, fantasy, bubble or whatever, it is popped. I mean, it's gone. There is, you do not recover from that if you get called Satan by Jesus. <laughs> and then this is, this is what I love right here. And then this is what Jesus says. And this is why Jesus is calling Peter Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Jesus is correcting Peter's perspective. So we have this emotional roller coaster that Peter's on. You know, he gets asked the question, who am I? He says the Messiah. He answers it right. Bing, 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 bing. He's daydreaming about how awesome it's going to be when Jesus is the Messiah and he's right there next to him in all that glory. But, oh, wait, Jesus is going to suffer? Okay, and then he confronts Jesus, which is definitely a low point. Not Peter's lowest, but it's low. <laughs> and then he gets called Satan for having the wrong perspective. And then Jesus says this. And we've already read this, but I'm going to read it again. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself, shoulder your cross, and follow me. If you, try to if you try to keep or control, you know, freak your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, this is God's perspective, this is an eternal perspective, you will find true life. So, <clears throat> first off, I just... This word life here, I think it's interesting to point out, it's not the word for our physical life. It's the word, it can be translated as like psyche or soul, because obviously you have one life to give, unless you're Jesus and like a few other people. You have one life to give. That's why we have to take up our cross every day. We lose our life every single day, and that's our internal life, our soul. It's important to turn out. And this kind of suffering is the kind of, th that Jesus is talking about, it's the kind of suffering that you volunteer for. This isn't the kind of suffering that's circumstantial, that just happens to you. Um, it's, you know, kind of out of your control. It's, I want you to think of taking up your cross in terms of an action or an attitude you take for the sake of God's glory or for others. In other words, it's not the illness it's not the cancer, but it's the attitude in the midst of the illness that says God is still good. It's not the hurtful action that was done to you and the pain that is subsequently caused, but it's the choice to forgive 
over and over and over again when it's so hard to let it go. That's how I want you to think of this. And I'm not, understand I'm not being unsensitive to the pain, but I, I want you to think of taking up your cross as an action that you take, a choice that you make. And Jesus, you know, okay, let's take a deep breath for a second. <laughs> don't worry, Pastor Nate's coming back next week. That's all I'm going to say right here. <laughs> we don't get to follow every selfish ambition or satisfy every craving or follow every desire. We have to tell ourselves no. When we deny ourselves, we prefer God and others. We submit to Christ for the sake of obedience. We, by an act of our will, voluntarily give up something in worship, submission, and a spirit of yieldedness. It's like a posture of my life is yours. Everything, every breath, every moment, every decision. It's a posture that we live in. And we might even give up something that we feel we have a right to. Jesus did. He had a right to a lot more than what he suffered on this earth. So... <clears throat> There are two very important aspects to denying yourself, and we're going to pick on Peter a little bit more this morning because he just, he provided some great examples for us. <laughs> so he was trying to control the situation. And, you know, we do that. We do that in our own lives. Um, some of us, we have a death grip on our plans. And Jesus, you know, we have this picture in our mind we're trying to create Maybe we have a little part of it, something that we feel like God's put in our heart, and we build the rest out. And we're, we're you know, we're going to make that happen. And Jesus was essentially prying Peter's hands off of the image he had built of who the Messiah was going to be. You know, we're going to have our plans and ambitions. We should have them. I'm not saying we need to get rid of them, but may they always be submitted. May they always be yielded to Christ. We're going to have our house. We're going to have our career. I have my career. We ha you have your career. But those are tools, not ultimate goals. They must be submitted. They must be yielded to Christ. Remember, if you try to keep your life, you're going to lose it. Which control, in most cases, is an illusion anyway. It's not even real. Um, just try being a parent, um, amongst other things. <laughs> so... Anyway, ultimately, it's submitted to Christ. He has veto power. He gets to redirect. He gets to focus. So that's the first thing, is stop control freaking your life. Um, that's a, anyway, yeah. So, number two, we must live with an eternal perspective. Remember, Jesus called, Sat Jesus called Peter Satan because his perspective was off. And I just think, like, how many of us, and you just can't really push back on that. You know, it's like, well, from my perspective, and Jesus is like, no. Get your perspective right. And um, when I say eternal perspective or godly perspective, I'm referring to the things now that matter in light of eternity. So it's really God's goals. What are God's goals? And um, this is not an exhaustive list, but certainly Jesus is interested in the good news being proclaimed right? He's interested in the redemption and the transformation of hearts and lives and how that's affected in eternity. So have you ever given up something for the sake of something better? In the, in, in the middle of the sacrifice, 
It was so hard and so terrible, but then when you look back on it, it's nothing compared to what was gained. Childbirth is like that, right? You, you blah, and then, oh, my baby is so awesome. And our adoption was a lot like that. Our oldest, Indale, we adopted him five years ago. He's nine years old. And this week has been really awesome because now that he's older and when he asks questions about his adoption or our life before we adopted him, he's able to understand so much more. So this week we've been spending a lot of time talking about his adoption. Um, and so he was asking me how I knew I wanted to adopt. And so I'm going to tell you all the story that I told him. <coughs> about 11 years ago, this was before I was dating, before Rich and I were married, I went to South Africa. And I met a pastor there, and he, um, he is Afrikaans, so he's white, South African. And um, during apartheid, he had gone into the townships against the law to tra train and teach pastors. And he had a very long history with um, the Zulu tribe, especially. So anyway, he's talking to me, and I have no idea what's about to hit me right now, <laughs> as he's you know, in that moment, as he's telling me the story. But he's talking about how some years prior to that, the Lord had given him a challenge for every year, for one entire year, to st study one of the fruits of the Spirit. So year one was love. And so he spent the entire year on love. And even though he and his wife had an AIDS baby's home, he, was, he found it very difficult to love people with HIV and AIDS. Um, I think he was afraid of contracting the disease, this was quite some time ago, back before, you know, it was a death sentence. HIV, AIDS was a death sentence. So God was really working with him and really challenging him in this. So the children's home, all AIDS babies, patients, called and said, we have this baby, he's extremely ill, he's going to die in the next few days, but his caretaker, it's time for her to go on holiday. Can you please just take care of the child for the next three weeks? So their family agreed. It was over the Christmas holidays. They took care of the baby. You know, really easy, taking care of a sick infant, up all night. Um, you know, a lot of struggles with his health and just his ability to breathe. And so they, you know, they, they plowed through. After three weeks, he'd actually shown a little bit of improvement. He didn't die to everyone's surprise. I mean, they had no hope for this kid. They weren't even giving him um, antiretrovirals anymore. So they sent him back to the children's home. A few weeks later, they call, oh, he's going to die, come. So their whole family, they had teenage children. They all go to the children's home to see him. They think he's dying. They decide to take him home. This happens three or four times where he's back and forth from their home to the children's home because he gets better, he gets better, he goes back, gets better, gets better, goes back, gets sick again. So that cycle is repeating. So anyway, their children who are, were adult and teenage children, come to the parents and they say, can we please just adopt him so that when he dies, he can have a proper burial, that he isn't in some unmarked mass grave, but that he has a family and love. And so the parents consider it and they say, yes, we'll do it. And they lay down, you know, this expectation when we love, we have an expectation to get something back, not you know, pay for a funeral and go through all of that with somebody. So <coughs> they bring this child into their home. And he keeps getting better and better 
and better. I mean, they had no hope for this little guy. And he keeps getting better and better and better. So they take him to the doctor, and they're like, so what's going on with him? This is great, you know, get more time with him. And uh, so they do a test. The doctor calls him, come back, do another test. The doctor calls him, come back, do another test. Three clean HIV tests. And the pastor says this to me. He says, the love of God healed my son. And I just think, oh my gosh, like, sometimes when we lay down, maybe, you know, they were heading into their empty nest season. They probably had an idea of what that was going to look like. And they laid that down. You know, it's hard. You're up all night (laughs) taking care of a sick baby. They laid that down, and God did a miracle right in the middle of that. And that is our hope. When we say, okay, I'm going to deny myself, that is our hope in Jesus. So I'm explaining this to Ndale, because this all is connected to his story, too. So when this pastor told me this story, it so impacted me. And it was a, like it was a holy moment between me and God where I said, God, I just, I want to be a part of loving somebody like that where you could heal them, heal their heart, heal their life. And I just, I sensed the Lord was leading me to one day adopt. And I just, I knew it was going to be a little boy. I felt like he was going to be from Africa. And I felt like it was going to be my, he was going to be my first child. So 23-year-old, 24-year-old Melissa lays that down before the Lord. And at this time, I don't, I don't have a boyfriend, <laughs> you know. I'm not dating rich. And I remember just thinking, this is insane. How do you even bring this up on a date? Like, so, um, okay. Like, there's just, you know, it just felt so intense and, and um, but it was something that God had put there, so, we, you know, you're going to have to work this one out, because this is, this is a lot. And now, looking back at that time, laying that down, it's like, it's like a joke. It's, I mean, you guys laughed. It's like, you know, compared to the love and the joy and the amazing, yeah, fun that adoption and Indale has brought into my life. The sacrifice is, is like, it's kind of funny even mentioning it at this point in time. So I'm telling you this story. There he is. And there he is today, too. That was just a few months um, after we adopted him. It was so much fun. Anyway, I'm telling you the story because I think it illustrates there's somebody who provided an example to us of just denying yourself, and then God did a miracle in that. And then also in my own life, how you see how sometimes what we think is such a great sacrifice in light of eternity, it's like you forget. And it's that, that energy that it takes to release it and let it go that's the hard part. But that's the part where that tension, where God has so much freedom to do something so powerful in our lives. Remember, if you try to keep your life, you're going to lose it. 
but if you lose it for his sake and for the sake of the gospel, we're going to find true life. And I just want to read <coughs> out of 2 Corinthians. It's um, verse 4. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 17. For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us an immeasurably, immeasurably great glory that will last forever. forever. God's glory and his life being glorified in us. So we don't look at the troubles or the suffering we see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the, troubles we will for the troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Let's pray. You might be thinking to yourself, how do I practically deny, or deny myself? How do I put this into action? And I wish I could give you an exhaustive list, but that's, that's definitely not the way this one works. For some... It might mean being quiet for others. It might mean speaking up and letting your voice be heard. For some, it might mean being more generous. For others, it might mean stop giving gifts to impress others. For some, it might mean making more time for your family. For others, it might mean being outside the home more so that you can model what sharing the love of Christ looked like. For some, it might mean a career change. For others, it might just mean changing the perspective of where you're at right now. Remember, it is a posture of submissiveness and yieldedness to Jesus. And we have to dig deep with the Holy Spirit and respond to him as he guides and convicts. Jesus, give us grace when it seems so hard, when what we're hanging on to, whether it be sin or if we're like Peter and we have an agenda of how we want something to go, or we're lacking an eternal perspective, God, give us grace to respond to you. Can you just take a moment and be honest with yourself and with the Lord? I'm just asking you to identify one thing, whether it's perspective, in the perspective category, whether it's in you are hanging on control a certain area of your life. Just let that go. Submit that to the Lord this morning. Just identify one thing. God, we lay these things down at your feet. Lord, we offer them to you in an attitude of worship and yieldedness to you. Lord, I thank you that we can trade our lousy earthly ways for your higher and better ways. God, that when we, when we lay things down, when we give you our ashes, you give us beauty and you give us joy instead of mourning. Lord, I ask that you would give us grace when it seems so hard to let something go. Lord, that we would just trust in you and rest in you, and be faithful to you in that moment, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you did the heavy lifting and suffering and denying yourself, Lord, that you provide that perfect example. 
Lord, and though we probably won't be dying on a cross, Lord, we can look to the cross and find our strength in you. find our hope of resurrection in you. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So thanks for telling us the truth. Yeah, thanks for telling us the truth. Good job. Great. All right. Why don't you stand up with me? I'd like to invite you to do two things. The first is, if there are those around you that you don't recognize or whose names you don't know, please say hi to them. Introduce yourself. Make sure that we express grace-filled hospitality here this morning. And then secondly, if you're with someone that you trust or someone that you're growing in relationship with, I'd invite you to press into this question that Melissa left us with. What is the one thing? What is the one thing that God might be asking you or telling you? You need to lay down. You need to surrender this. May the peace of Christ be always with you. Thank you. Greet one another with peace. We'll come back together for worship in just a minute.